Our text this morning comes from Exodus 3, the verses 10 through 12, so we'll read those again. Exodus 3, verse 10 to 12. This is the response of God, or the, the, the commission from God to Moses and Moses' question, his first question, and then also in verse 12, the response of God. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? He said, But I will be with you, and this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. Dear brothers and sisters of our Lord Jesus Christ, if you ever find the time to read the book of Exodus in a single sitting, you'll discover that our text, this event at the burning bush, marks an important change in how the book of Exodus is written. The two chapters that come before this passage move very quickly through time. 400 years of history is covered in only a few short passages. As a reader, we only pause a few times to witness the plight of the Israelites in Egypt and also to learn something about this man, Moses. But especially after verse 9 in our chapter, suddenly we are given a play-by-play of what happens next. The rest of the book plays out over a very short time a matter of months instead of years. And it carefully describes what God is doing to deliver His people. For example, we follow Moses on his return to Egypt immediately after this passage. And throughout the course of the next five or six chapters, we overhear the conversations between Moses and the people and the conversations between Moses and Pharaoh. And soon after, we read about the onset and the outcome of each specific plague. So verse 9 in our passage is a little bit like the puck drop at the beginning of a hockey game. It's like the whistle at the beginning of a basketball game. The players have arrived, they've marshaled their teams, the lines are drawn, anticipation is growing, and now, now the game begins. Just so in our text, as it says in verse 9, behold, now, now we will see as God works to deliver His people from Egypt. This is our theme for this morning. This is how God works among His people. He sends a chosen mediator to deliver His people from Egypt. So first, we will consider how God calls Moses for an extraordinary task. This is the verses 10 through 12. Then we will learn how God also equips Moses for this task. So first, the Lord calls Moses for an extraordinary task. This is where our text begins. How does God deliver the Israelites? He sends Moses. As we read in verse 10, come, I will send you. God's way of deliverance is to send a mediator. Moses was called to advocate for the people of Israel before Pharaoh on behalf of God. Now, what does that mean? It might help to think of Moses as the man who stands in the middle, 
This is his role. For the rest of his life, Moses will stand in the middle between God and the Israelites. Now Moses is a prophet, and he brings the word of God to the people of Israel. And occasionally, also, Moses will bring the complaints of the people to God. Ultimately, his task as a mediator is to restore the relationship between God and his people. And in order to do that, he must first deliver the people from Egypt and bring them to Mount Sinai and eventually into the promised land. He must deliver the people out of service to Pharaoh and bring them into service to God. This is the commission. This is his calling. And in our text, the Lord is very clear to Moses about what he must do. I am sending you to Pharaoh so that you may bring my people out of Egypt. But how does Moses respond? Is he immediately obedient? Does he take up this new responsibility with joy? He doesn't. Instead, as you keep reading in chapter 3, Moses responds with five objections. Five objections. First, he asks, who am I? Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and that I should bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And then in chapter 3 and also in chapter 4, Moses presents two hypothetical situations. He asks first, what if the Israelites ask me who you are? And then he asks, what if they do not believe that you appeared to me? And then he objects the fourth time by drawing attention to his own weaknesses and shortcomings. He says, but I am not eloquent, neither before or now, and I am slow of speech. And finally, after God patiently answers each objection, Moses simply says, please, Lord, send someone else. Now, we know from this final objection, this fifth objection, that Moses will refuse the task and that he would ultimately be commanded to go against his will. But how should we understand his first question? This is the question we're going to think about today, this morning. Is Moses here already? Is he disobedient towards God? Well, consider for a moment where Moses is standing. Consider how he is standing. Earlier that day, and for the last 40 years, he was bringing sheep out to pasture, a most mundane and ordinary task. And now he is standing before a holy God and commanded to do this extraordinary thing. He is immediately confronted with the significance of this task. Moses is called to do God's work, to be a part of God's plan, to deliver the Israelites from Egypt, to bring them to Canaan eventually, also to displace the nations that currently live there. And all this in accordance with what God had promised to Abraham already in Genesis 15. So the questions that follow, Moses' questions, they anticipate some of the difficulties that he would encounter in this mission. Not only would he have to convince Pharaoh to release his slaves, but he would also have to convince the Israelites that he was sent by God. To say it simply, Moses was overwhelmed by this responsibility. Who am I to be a part of your plan? 
And there is here another aspect to his question. Notice how in verse 11, he repeats the words of God, but it's not quite word for word. Instead, he stumbles over two things. He stumbles over the word Pharaoh, and he stumbles over the designation children of Israel. Send me back to Pharaoh for the Israelites? This divine commission confronts Moses with his own unsuitability, his own insignificance for this task. He feels completely inadequate because God was commanding him to do what he had already attempted and failed to do. This is revealed in our reading from Exodus 2, verse 11 to 15. And Stephen's interpretation of these events in Acts 7, Stephen's sermon. Forty years before this moment, Moses had attempted to deliver the people on his own. In Acts 7, verse 25, as the deacon Stephen retells it, when Moses struck down the Egyptian in defense of the Israelite slave, Moses supposed that his brothers would understand that God was delivering them, was giving them salvation by his hand. But what were the consequences of his actions? Because the Israelites did not understand, they rejected him as a savior. And when Pharaoh heard what he had done, Pharaoh sought to kill him. Moses, therefore, had already been rejected by the Israelites and by Pharaoh, as we can read in Exodus 2, verse 14 and 15. Now, ultimately, Moses had failed because, to use the language of the Apostle Paul, he had placed his confidence in the flesh. He thought he was doing God's work, but he had not received a commission from God. Instead, he relied on his status in the Egyptian court and on his reputation among the Israelites. He was wise according to worldly standards and had acted according to his own sense of justice, and he had therefore taken it upon himself. He had taken this position of Savior upon himself. In Philippians 3, verses 4 through 7, Paul explains how futile this way of thinking is. And Paul here is thinking back to his own situation. As a Pharisee, he used to think this way. He had placed his confidence in the flesh. There he writes, he gives a list of his fleshy qualifications. He says, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. This was Paul's previous perspective of himself. But now, after coming to the true knowledge of Christ, having been called by Christ on the road to Damascus, Paul could write to the Philippians, he could say, but whatever gain I had, I count as loss for the sake of Christ. Now Moses had reason for such confidence. He could have made a list very much like Paul's, and Stephen provides the basis of it in Acts 7 verse 22. Moses was, after all, born an Israelite, 
Moses was raised as an Egyptian. He was educated in all the wisdom of Egypt and mighty in words and deeds. As to influence, he was the grandson of Pharaoh. As to zeal, he was a murderer in defense of the innocent. Who better to deliver the Israelites? But Moses learned through his failure that on his own, in his own strength, and without a commission from God, he was insufficient for this task. And he had been completely humbled by his failure. So not only was Moses overwhelmed by this responsibility, by this task, but Moses knew that it was impossible for him to do. From a human perspective, he was the wrong man for the job. He had, if I use an analogy from sports, Moses had jumped the whistle and was now benched before the game even began. Because of his rash actions, he had already disqualified himself from participating in God's plan for deliverance. The new Pharaoh had continued the old program of oppression against the Israelites, and to him, Moses was a rebellious Israelite. And to the Israelites, Moses was an upstart and a coward, having abandoned them and fleeing to Midian. But now, now God was calling him off the bench and sending him back to Egypt. So his question here is sincere. This is the question of a man trying to reconcile the size of the task with the smallness of the worker, the significance of the message with the insignificance of the messenger. Moses is asking what Paul also asks in 2 Corinthians 2 verse 16, which we read. Who is sufficient for these things? That is, who is able to do the work of God? Only those, as men of sincerity, are commissioned by God and in the sight of God speak in Christ. Now this is the answer that Paul provides for his own question. Paul knew that he was insufficient and ultimately unqualified for the work that God had given him to do. By all accounts, he was a murderer like Moses. But Paul found confidence to do his work because he was called by God and because he was sufficient for his task only through Christ before God, as he says in 2 Corinthians 3 verse 4. Both Paul and Moses were unable in themselves to claim any credit for a successful outcome of their mission because their sufficiency came from God himself through Christ, who is sufficient in every way. So both Paul and Moses were unqualified for the work that God had given them. And yet, brothers and sisters, yet God used them to accomplish great things. Moses delivered the Israelites from Egypt, and Paul spread the gospel news among the Gentiles, even as far as the emperor's court in Rome. Brothers and sisters, God use, uses imperfect means to accomplish His perfect work. He uses the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. He uses the weak things of the world to shame the strong. Moses would be made low. He would be despised by the world, by Pharaoh and the Israelites. And yet God would choose him to redeem the people. Why? so that we might recognize the incredible work of God, so that no one may boast in his own strength, but so that God may be glorified in weakness, 
Moses, the former prince of, of Egypt, now a shepherd of Midian, found himself barefoot before a burning bush in the middle of nowhere. And yet, he would become the instrument used by God to humble the most arrogant, the greatest nation on earth. So, brothers and sisters, consider your own calling. Wherever God has placed you in the service of His kingdom, although we are easily overwhelmed and often overwhelmed by the weight of our responsibilities, and although it can be difficult to see past our previous failures and our current shortcomings, consider your calling as coming from God and seek your confidence through Christ before God. But has God called us? And to what has He called us? Now, should we wait for a moment like Moses experienced? Does every call from God come through a burning bush or some similar sign? Of course not. Consider this. Through the Word, God gives you the law. He has shone the light of His law in your hearts. We read it this morning. And He has done so that you might recognize the sin in your life. And by doing so, He calls you to repentance. Now, fundamentally, this is God's work. It is accomplished through the Spirit. The Spirit who is at work in us and with us to bring us to our knees in a heartfelt sorrow for sin. And through the Word which you have received in faith, And also, through the example of many faithful in the past, God has called us out of this world, not to live as this world lives and to fight, and He has called us to fight against the sinful things that the world promotes. Now, ultimately, this also is God's work, which He has called us to do. And as Christians, we are called to confess our faith to the world to spread the good news of His gospel. Now, undoubtedly, this too is God's work. It is impossible for us to work faith into the heart of an unbeliever. Nevertheless, God uses us to spread His gospel and commands us to make a good confession before all men. And brothers and sisters, if God has blessed you with children, then you are also called to be a father or a mother. He has appointed you as instruments of His grace to them, providing what they need for their daily life as they grow up in the fear of the Lord. This is your calling. Therefore, teach your children and raise them up in His name. This is God's will, and it is also God's work which is done and accomplished through us. And of course, our passage this morning has special relevance for those who hold office in the church. As an elder or a deacon, you were appointed by God through the means that He has given, and you were appointed by God to do His work among the congregation. So when you are faced with the significance of your task, remember that you did not take this office upon yourself, but that you were commissioned by God according to the means that He has given to the church. So, brothers and sisters, on the one hand, we have seen how the Lord has used imperfect means, how He uses us, weak 
and sinful people to accomplish His perfect plan. We have seen how He called Moses a broken and a despised man, fully aware of his disqualification, to deliver his people from Egypt. And now we will see in our second point how God graciously equips those whom He calls. Notice how when Moses is faced with an overwhelming task and faced with his past failures, he naturally looks for confidence in the flesh. He looks for confidence in himself. This is human nature. His first question is, who am I? And later, as we discussed, later he says, I am not eloquent, neither before or now, and I am slow of speech. Notice how God, in verse 12, He redirects the attention of Moses away from Himself, and He directs Moses' attention towards God. I will be with you. Moses looks for self-confidence, but God gives him assurance based on a better foundation. Brothers and sisters, here we see the manifold grace of God, that although Moses was insufficient for this incredible task, And although Moses knew that he was insufficient, God gave him complete assurance for a successful outcome. And the assurance that God provides is comprehensive. It comes from a reflection on the past. It applies to the present, where Moses is standing, and is beneficial also for the future. Past, present, and future. This promise, I will be with you, it reflects how God later reveals Himself in this chapter as Yahweh, as I am who I am. In the original language, the same word is used in both phrases. To say it another way, using the words of Revelation 1 verse 8, God reveals Himself as the one who is, and the one who was, and the one who is to come. Moses receives assurance based on the presence of God Himself, A God who does not change, who is everlasting and remains the same yesterday and today and tomorrow. Now, in this second point, we'll briefly consider each of these three aspects. First, assurance in the present, as Moses has received it. Also then, assurance that he receives from the past. And finally, the assurance that he receives for the future. First, the presence, the promise of God's presence gives Moses assurance for the task at hand. I am sending you to Pharaoh, and I will be with you. What does this mean? It means exactly what the Lord also says through the prophet Isaiah, in Isaiah 41, verse 10. There he says, Fear not, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you, I will help you, I will uphold you with my right hand. It means that Moses could now go before Pharaoh with divine authority. And it means that Moses will have the words to say. And he will have the power to do many miracles. It means that Moses now has an answer to the accusation that was made against him by the Israelite slave in chapter 2 verse 14. The slave had asked, who appointed you as commander and judge over us? And Moses' answer now, of course, is the exalted Lord, the creator of heaven and earth. God goes with him, and his presence, it makes all the difference. 
This knowledge provides Moses with everything that he needs to go before Pharaoh and demand of him to let the people go. For if God is on our side, then who can be against us? But Moses also receives assurance from the past. That question of Moses in our text, who am I? It reminds us as readers to reflect exactly on who Moses is. To reflect on everything that the author of Exodus has already revealed about Moses in in the previous two chapters, from his birth to where he now stands. It is important to realize that this sign, the burning bush, and this call, it was given to Moses specifically, not to any shepherd in Midian. Moses himself was insignificant, insufficient for this task. But it becomes very clear in this book, in the book of Exodus, that he was uniquely prepared by God to become the mediator of Israel. He was chosen, he was prepared, and he was enabled by God for this very task. As we read in in Exodus 1 and 2, his birth was simply miraculous. His education was remarkable, and his status in the Egyptian court was eventually very useful. And God had given him many gifts. As we read earlier, Moses had his eyes open to injustice. He was discerning. And he recognized injustice when he saw it. He was able to stand outside of his cultural context. And he was also a man of action, willing and able to help those who needed help, to help the helpless. Throughout his life, we see the hand of God working to direct him to this very moment, for this very task, this very responsibility. Every gift he had received, every trial that he had experienced, prepared and enabled him for this task that he would later receive from God. Moses ultimately was made to lead the Israelites out of Egypt at a time appointed by God. And Moses also receives assurance for the future. Consider what we read in the last part of verse 12 of our text. And let's think about that sign that Moses was given, that he there receives from God. The words are as follows, And this will be the sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. Now, the mountain where Moses is standing is called Horeb. But later, it is also called Mount Sinai. Now, this is the same mountain where the people of God would receive the law. They would eventually assemble before this mountain and witness and see God after they had escaped from Egypt. And notice that in response to his question, Moses receives two things from God. A direct answer, as we discussed in the form of a promise, I will be with you. And this answer by itself, it completely resolves his objections. But God in his grace, because he knows the weakness of Moses, because he knows our human weakness, he also gives Moses something else. He gives Moses a sign, a sign for the future confirmation of his faith. Of course, this sign can only come to pass after the success of the mission. And so in that sense, Moses must receive this sign in faith. When the sign is fulfilled, when the time comes that the Israelites are brought before the mountain, then the help of God is reaffirmed for Moses. Then he will know again that God is with him, and this knowledge it will strengthen him for the task ahead. 
his calling would be reaffirmed by the success of his mission. And he would later receive personal confirmation that he is a true prophet of God, according to the criteria that we read also in Deuteronomy 18, verse 22. His faith in God would be strengthened so that he can continue in his task with complete assurance of God's presence. But how can a perfectly holy God go with a sinful man? How can an imperfect mediator receive the very presence of God? How is he accepted for this task? And if we think about ourselves, brothers and sisters, how are we vessels of the Holy Spirit? Only because the true prophet, the perfect mediator, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, only because he was rejected by God. When Jesus prophesied about his death in John 8, verse 42, he said this to the Pharisees. He said, When you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am He, and that I do nothing by my own authority, but speak as the Father taught me. And He who sent me is with me. The Father was with the Son. Just as Moses was sent with the authority of God into Egypt, the Son was sent with the authority of the Father into the world. And just as God was with Moses, the Father was with the Son. But even though Christ was perfectly sufficient for His task, He was abandoned by the Father. He was abandoned on the cross. He was rejected. He was despised. And He suffered so that we might be received by God so that we can enjoy the presence of God, and so that Moses, even before Christ had come, so that Moses could fulfill his role as mediator, bringing a sinful people into relationship with a perfectly holy God. Ultimately, the work of Moses was made possible only because of the perfect sacrifice of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, on the cross. And brothers and sisters, just... As God, through Christ, gave Moses all that he needed, all that was required for his extraordinary task, God gives us everything that we need to complete the work that he sets before us. In Christ, we have the same assurance that Moses has, an assurance rooted in the eternal presence of God, past, present, and future. We find assurance in the present knowing that Christ is with us always, that He is never far from us, and that He has promised never to leave us. Although He is physically in heaven, at the right hand of God, His Spirit, His Holy Spirit dwells in our hearts, and He will never abandon us. And we find assurance from the past, knowing that just as God has called us, each of us, to our specific tasks and responsibilities in life, so also as our good Father, He gives us gifts. He gives us talents that we need. He shapes us by our experiences, and He prepares us through our trials and sufferings. The one who has called us into His service also is the same one who has created us. And just as God gave Moses a sign for the future confirmation of his faith, God gives us signs and seals for our faith. God gives us the sign and the seal of the sacraments, and specifically, He gives us 
the Lord's Supper. A sign which points us to Christ and it reminds us of the work that Christ had accomplished on the cross. It reminds us that His work is finished, that His work of salvation was accomplished, and it is complete. And so we rest in the assurance that we have for the future. Beloved, God is gracious and He gives us all that we need to sustain us in our faith for the work that He has called us to do. So brothers and sisters, for the, fut- for the faithful execution of your Christian responsibilities, for the success of your God-given kingdom work, do not put your confidence in yourself and do not trust in your own strength. When you are overwhelmed by the weight of your responsibilities or unable to see past your previous failures or your current inadequacies, remember that God has called you to your task. The one who has called you into His service, He is the same one who has created you. Remember that you are part of His perfect plan and that He uses you where He has placed you in all your weaknesses and shortcomings to accomplish His perfect work. And whatever He has called you to do, through Christ He has also given you the means to do it. So seek confidence in Christ before God. For He Himself, He is our wisdom from God, our righteousness, our sanctification, and our redemption. So find complete assurance for your daily God-given responsibilities in His eternal presence. The Almighty, the eternal God is the same yesterday and today and forever. Therefore, we can say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? And receive now a final word of encouragement from the words of Hebrews 13, verse 21. And may the God of peace equip you with every good thing to do His will. And may He accomplish in us what is pleasing in His sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen.